on deck on turning the corner. The Athletics' Cody Stavenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley discuss Tigers' culture under A.J. Hinch and a new name connected to Detroit and the MLB draft. And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, the co-pilot, the partner in crime, the grindfather, Cody Stavid Hagen with The Athletic. Another pretty good week of Tigers baseball, Cody, including a season, excuse me, a series win this weekend over the Yankees. The Tigers, as of Saturday night, are 13-12 and 12 in May. Their run differential is an even zero. Quite the turnaround from April. Not bad. We'll take it around here. Well, you see, uh, this week, when they have close wins and then, you know, some, you know, one or two plays away losses, I, I, I'm a big fan of the R-rated comedy boom in the 2000s, and one of the uh, low-budget ones from that era was Waiting. And they in in the movie they have a training video, quote unquote, for one of the the new hires, and it's a really cheesy, you know, it's on purpose. And the the guy in the training video goes, you know, the difference between extraordinary and ordinary is that little extra. Now I don't think the Tigers are on the verge of being extraordinary. Don't get me wrong, but when you're teetering. When you're playing competitively against Cleveland and then you're winning games against the Yankees, I mean, that's kind of what I think. It's like they're close. They're not quite there. They're obviously not consistent. That's why we're, you know, having the seat, witnessing the season that we're witnessing. But if you're looking for an improvement, if you're one of those fans that is just looking for a team with life, a team that plays hard, a team that learns from its mistakes, that is held accountable. You're not disappointed with this. But you wrote a story this week, Cody, and it's sort of like that uh, the word that gets thrown around a lot in sports, however, it's not that easily defined, and it's definitely not easy to, uh, to get to, and that's culture, building a culture. And baseball, 162 games. It's a grind, and as you like to say, it's a game of failure. So how do you build a culture in what is literally a game of failure? Yeah, a lot of the time I don't like the whole talk about culture, you know, the manager. All, it, gets, get it, it gets pretty cliched, it gets right? very cliched, very repetitive. Every team I've ever covered, football, basketball, baseball, uh, women's soccer, women's basketball, you know, Oh, what about the culture of this team? And every team has a good culture. Have you ever heard of a team with a bad culture? I mean, I guess, like, but usually don't find out about the bad culture until, like, after the fact, right? Every team in the moment, oh, great culture around here, you know, tight-knit clubhouse. Everybody loves each other. We're all brothers. Yes. Um, But, you know, I don't know. Reporters aren't allowed in the clubhouse right now, but when when we were, I always thought the Tigers had – you can feel it. Uh, I did an MLB.com internship, covered the 16 Cubs and White Sox. The difference between those two clubhouses was crazy. You know, the Cubs went on to win the World Series, and it was it was upbeat, it was positive, and the White Sox completely imploded that year. Chris Sale, like, cut up the throwback jerseys or whatever. You had the Adam LaRoche stuff in spring training, and you walked in that room, and it was just 
it was just tense, you know. Um, under Ron Gardenhire, despite some bad teams, I felt the mood around the Tigers was always pretty upbeat. I can't walk in the room right now under COVID protocols, but I think it is very interesting to see how the Tigers have turned around from April to May, playing much better baseball. If you had to talk about building a culture, if you had to talk about the difference a coaching staff can make, I feel like that is what we are seeing on the field right now. Well, is it at least safe to say that given what happened in April and given what we're witnessing in May, that at the very least, the players are buying what the coaches are selling? Uh, because that, I feel like, especially given the, the way the team has played the past couple of seasons, if there was ever a time to tailspin, it'd be early April when you're winning three games in three weeks, and they stuck to it, and they deserve credit for that or everybody from you know the coaching staff down yeah i mean you know on this podcast on twitter i'm sure even in the clubhouse and in the manager's office there was a lot of doom and gloom a few weeks ago and it's turned around i think that is a credit to everyone for buy-in one thing i I talked to aj hinch about this week was you know kind of the reminder that some of this is a process if you talk about chris fetter's impact on the pitching staff there's no way Chris Fetter can come in, no matter how many phone calls he had with guys on the offseason, in day one of spring training, fix Joe Jimenez, or fix Kyle Funkhauser, or turn a bad pitcher into a good pitcher. It takes some trial and error, it takes some buy-in from the pitcher, it takes some tweaks here, some adjustments there, and now we're a couple months into this thing, and look at the uh, ERA of your starters. The bullpen's ERA since May 16th is like 1.83 after being the worst in baseball early on in the season. Um, I think you're starting to see the fruits of some of these labors. So that's a credit to the coaches and that's a credit to the players for buying into what these coaches are telling them, how they're trying to get them to adjust. The coaches have talked about shifting some of the uh, kind of the lingo they're using when talking to the players, you know, going back to the basics. I think we talked about a couple weeks ago from an offensive standpoint. I think, look, that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. It's hopefully going to continue to happen over a period of years here in Detroit. Um, but I think we're starting to see the impact of that a little bit. And, and you can tell because the product on the field is quite a bit different than it was in April. And obviously the highlight of that is Casey Mize. And I say this respectfully we can almost retire the Casey Mize pondering as a topic on this podcast. Like, I obviously he's not a finished product. I'm not saying that. But so, what if he has a terrible game next time? We're gonna be right back at it. Uh, no, no, no. We are gonna we're gonna keep it cool. We're gonna keep it cool on uh, turning the corner. But he, you look at his numbers in May, and he's only one uh, one outing this month has he allowed more than one earned run and he hasn't he's only allowed you know we talk about allowing home runs a lot last year he's allowed two I mean he's he looks dialed in and there's some adjustments that I know people have talked about with Fetter um that seem to be working and so I I now just look at him as a pitcher on the ascent now obviously there's going to be a bump there's going to be you know some teetering I'm, I'm not not overreacting, but I'm saying like, think about one of our first episodes. Like, is this guy gonna make the? Is this guy gonna make the major league roster? Do you just kind of have to put him on the major league roster for the sake of saving face? 
and patience is a virtue. You fast forward to now, it's kind of silly we were even having those conversations. And so I think we, when we talk about the Casey Mize from here on out, it's like the next tier of conversation as opposed to here's a guy that on any get we're more excited for the possibility of Casey Mize. We're seeing what Casey Mize is as opposed to hoping what he could be. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that we talked a lot about that at the time. It's time to see some results. It's time to see some good games. You can't just keep pitching poorly and we talk about, well, he was the 1-1 pick. And guess what he's done over the past six starts? He's been really good. He has like a 1.73 ERA over the past six starts. Um, He's used a lot of different pitches well. His fastball command has been dialed in. I think his slider has become his best pitch. He shared the other night that, Six starts ago, Chris Fetter said, don't stand on the first base side of the rubber, stand right in the middle of the rubber. And it might be oversimplifying it to uh, to attribute that at all to one adjustment, but if you go and look at you know, his box scores, Casey Mize over the past six starts has been a different pitcher. He's been far better than we saw in spring training. He's been far better than we saw in early April. It's mostly because he's throwing strikes. He is still using that splitter a little less. Uh, but he's in the zone, he's getting ahead of guys, and he's looked locked in, he's looked dialed in, and and I think you're right. Now we can say, well, Casey Mize has strung together six very good Major League starts. Now can he sustain that for half a season or a whole season versus can this guy even have success at the big league level? I, just think, I do think it shifts the conversation a little bit. I don't think that early conversation was invalid because... Casey Mize really struggled in spring, and he really struggled early on in the year. But credit to him for figuring some things out. Credit to him for uh, his coaches, you know, credit to his coaches for helping him. That's how it should work at this level. The results we wanted to see from Casey Mize, guess what? We've seen them. It's crazy something like uh, moving where you stand on the rubber is something that would be pointed to. Because I always think, like, and I mentioned this before on the podcast, like they do tackling drills in the NFL. It's like you made it to the NFL, you don't know how to tackle, you know, but they're teaching like tackling technique. And, you know, Casey Mize has been a stud baseball player his entire life. And it took moving his position on the rubber. And, and, and that like maybe is one of the chain of events that makes things click. It's crazy to me that these kind of simple things at the highest level can have big impacts. But now obviously you're not in the clubhouse, as, as you said earlier, but on the Zooms and and what you've been able to observe from afar, like, does Casey carry himself more confidently? Is he the steady Casey uh, that, that you've always known? Is there any change there with him? I think Casey's always been a very, both steady and confident. He has a great demeanor. I think that played into him being picked 1-1 carries the guy carries himself like a professional I think you could see some frustration from Casey Mize especially in spring training and then early in the season I'm sure if you're Casey Mize you look at your ERA and when it's a when it's a big crooked number you don't like that and I think you're now uh, starting to see maybe a little bit of pressure taken off of him maybe he doesn't have to feel like I, I do I think he felt like he had to prove to people that he wasn't a bust, that he could pitch in the major leagues. And look, there's only six starts. He's got a long way to go. But I, I do. I think he's starting to um, – it's, it's not that he was never lacked confidence before. I think it's taken some pressure off of his shoulders just 
doing it, just knowing that it can be done, that it can be done multiple starts in a row. Um, and, and it changes the conversation. It changes the questions he's getting asked. It's not a bit like, Casey, why did you struggle tonight? It's Casey, what did you do that, that made you so good tonight? And that also, of course, are, is going to change his answers. But I, I think he's pressing a little less, uh, if I had to guess. And that's that's definitely a very good thing for him. Yeah, hard to blame for guy for being more confident. So, beginning of the season and spring training, uh, the word you and that you and I both used to describe the optics of an AJ Hinch run Detroit Tigers was serious. Things are serious now, and and part of things being serious is that at bats and innings and pitching opportunities are not going to just be given and you know we'll see you in August how, how it worked out and, and we saw that with Renato Nunez you know that was kind of a weird situation we saw it with Joe Jimenez the Victor Reyes you know back and forth and Jacoby Jones gets moved down I'm sort of trying to recall in my head the the biggest examples of AJ sort of like sticking with and rewarding players that are producing results. Uh, when's the last time we had a conversation about Jamer Candelario that was like, you know, pondering whether he belongs? He belongs, and a- like that's that's about as sure a thing because I don't know if it's still the case, but for a long while there was no repeat of a Detroit Tigers lineup I, I, I don't know if that's still the case but I, I think they've repeated oh, it once okay finally. so we got so we got one repeat but if there was something that you could bet your bottom dollar it was going to be Jamer Candelario at third base hitting somewhere between three and five I mean that's about as that's about as sure a bet as there is with the Detroit Tigers right now and so I, I think that's great to see I think Nico Goodrum taking the shortstop role and even though he had a little bit of an error spell, like, you know, that's still his job as of now. Willie Castro, we're, we're cutting the experiment short. You're going to have to try to stick it at second base, which, you know, by the way, we're recording this Saturday night. Phenomenal play at second base today for Willie Castro. Shout that out, was, Willie. That was, uh, that was great to see. I mean, I think an important example is Harold Castro, a guy who was produced, and although his... Uh... His one Good base point. percentage is higher than his slugging percentage, which is kind of hilarious because he only hits singles. You know, AJ has gotten Harold Castro in the lineup because he's been one of the more productive players. When Nico Goodrum was struggling, making smears, we've seen Harold Castro start games at shortstop. On a big scale, I don't think Harold Castro as your starting shortstop is very good, but uh, I think that's a sign that AJ was saying, all right, Harold's producing, he's going to be in the lineup. Nico, you're struggling. We're not going to play you for a couple days. Like, there's a very clear um i don't know if reward system is like a merit system for sure going on where you have to earn it and if you're jacoby jones and you're hitting below 200 and you're struggling even though you have potential even though you've shown flashes of success in the past even though there's not really a true better option to be the everyday center fielder right now you're eventually going to get sent down some of that's where the tigers are at in this in this rebuild long as it is, slowly getting more serious. I think a lot of it is A.J. Hinch just demanding production, just raising the bar, having a higher standard. Um, and to some degree, it's also good for these players, like we saw with Victor Reyes. Guy was going through a real rough patch, got sent back down to AAA, tore it up. Now he's back up here. We'll see how he fares. 
But that sometimes sending a, a guy down is the right thing to do. And I wonder if in the past couple of years, the Tigers were almost too hesitant to do that in some cases. Again, maybe they didn't have a better replacement. Uh, but there's just a different vibe about things under the Hinch regime. And you can see it in, in all these decisions we've just talked about. You see it in Kyle Fun Funkhauser pitching almost leverage innings in games because he's pitched well, you know, and they're going to keep giving him those situations until he proves he can't handle it rather than just assume he can't handle it or rather than give Joe Jimenez a leverage inning just because his name is Joe Jimenez. Like the balance has changed here. Well, that's the glory of 162 games is that there's never going to be a shortage of, uh, of situations and opportunities to, uh, essentially see your experiment play out like Gregory Soto can can you get Aaron Judge out in a key spot yeah he might not do it every time but he but he did it the other night he sure did he it wasn't necessarily the prettiest uh inning from Soto but sure was a pretty slider he threw past Aaron Judge you know in a crucial spot got him out of the inning Tigers going to win in extras though, I mean right? I, I, I like Soto so I don't mean this as a criticism but a lot of those innings aren't very pretty even if they end up even if they end up fine <laughs> he, he flair for dramatics one of the funniest things AJ Hinch would agree with you on this one probably his best quote of the week someone asked like what's it like to watch Soto you know, come through in these big situations. He's, he's like, what's it like? It's nerve wracking. Sometimes I want to go in the tunnel and turn my head, you know? So, so, uh, the manager feels the same way. Sometimes it's electric and sometimes it's, it's a train wreck, but it's always entertaining. There's no doubt about that. So the flip side of the guys that have been rewarded on the, on the merit system, the other side of that coin is guys that, you know, maybe, don't have that much longer or because of lack of other options or circumstances are getting more play than some of the other guys. So what I'm talking about is Miguel Cabrera batting third and fourth. That's something that in all fairness, like should he, it's hard, it's hard to justify it. It's hard to justify it. And Nomar Mazzara basically being the everyday right fielder he might not be around too much longer if he does not begin producing and uh, i i keep going back a couple weeks ago when you told your uh university of texas athletic story potential gets you fired that's that's mm -hmm. nomar mazara in a nutshell in my opinion because uh, you know i i live obviously here in north texas i remember you covered him like i i remember he was a fan favorite. There are still Rangers fans that wish they didn't get rid of him because the pop was so high. But at a certain point, you know, you you're just you you're just not it. And I I it's hard for me to justify his place in the lineup either. So those are a couple guys that uh, situations that I don't know. You're obviously not doing anything with Cabrera substantial, but Mazzara definitely you know could be bubble watch and. I think I, th I think Nomar Mazar is on very thin ice right now, especially as Derek Hill continues to perform in Toledo. Das Cameron's playing every day in Toledo. Nomar Mazar is he's in below two hundred. He's struggling. We haven't really seen the pop. Um, again, you know, there's something there in that bat, but this is not just a, an extended trial run. At some point, I would say in the next week or two, if he does not begin performing. I wouldn't be shocked if we see uh, a move there and, and we see Derek Hill 
come up to Toledo. It's a little different because Mazzara is on a major league deal, so you can't really, you know, you can't just option him. You'd have to DFA him. I don't know if he'd clear, he'd, he might, he'd probably clear waivers at this point, so you could probably keep him in Toledo. I, you know, I could see that happening if there's not a change in his performance. Um, there's still some in that bat, so, you know, I hope for the guy that his performance changes. With Miguel, you know, I got a couple of comments on an article I wrote this week about AJ and about the culture, kind of saying, well, I can't take this seriously as long as Miguel's in the lineup every day. He's hitting three or four. And that's, you know, to some degree that's valid, but as we've talked about, you know, when we compared him to Albert Pujols, look, the guy's the face of your franchise. He's chasing down two major milestones. He's making $30 million. The reality is the Tigers are not going to DFA Miguel Cabrera anytime soon. Could he be dropped in the order? You know, the question was always, well, who's going to replace him? Uh, Jonathan Scope's starting to heat up a little bit, and we saw Scope in the middle of the order Saturday. You know, Mazzara was one of those guys that maybe if he got hot, he could take over that three-hole. That hasn't happened. The only thing with Cabrera, if you're going to bump him down, which I kind of think you should, but you have to have someone else who can actually put up better numbers. And I do think the name Miguel Cabrera still says something, still gives you a little bit of presence in the middle of the order, makes pitchers think twice just a little bit. And right now you don't have an obvious replacement to take over that spot in the order. All that said, if you're hitting 196, I don't know, you know, with eh, power, I don't know that you can stay in the three hole forever. And I, you know, I've been saying that for a couple of years at the same time, even when he's hitting higher than 196. Well, here's the thing, man. Like if you're going to move Miguel Cabrera down the order, I mean, you better have a conversation with him. I mean, there you, you, you have too. to treat that differently than sending Jacoby Jones down to Toledo like you just do because he's Miguel Cabrera and I think that would be you know we just talked about buy-in that would be a little bit of a litmus test for AJ Hinch and and the locker room is if like you're gonna bat Miguel Cabrera seventh you better be well aware of what his reaction would be in fact you probably should have a conversation with him about it first because you know they, those whole thing in sports about how you treat everybody the same, horse s. You, you you just you, you just don't. <laughs> I think think John Wooden said I have eleven different rules for uh, eleven different guys or something like that. Like it, you just you, you treat him differently. So that would be something that I think probably should be done, but it better be done right. You can't just do it cold, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a tough balance as a manager. That's why you get paid the big bucks because if you want to have a merit system, like how far does that extend? To what extent does that apply to Miguel Cabrera and his spot in the batting order? You do have to treat Miggy a little differently. It's why he's going to stay on this roster. But can you hit 196 and occupy the three hole forever? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, and that's where it becomes a, a difficult decision. And you're right. I think kind of maybe the next tier we see in the. Uh, the Hinch merit system um, in in AJ Hinch idol, you know, is kind of okay. Can Miguel Cabrera um, continue to hit in the middle of the order? Does Nomar Mazara stick around? Um, does Nico Goodrum clean up his play at shortstop? Does Willie Castro, who had a nice game Saturday, continue to play well? Th- th- those are kind of the next phase that we will probably see answered in the next month. We haven't done an Akil Badu update in a while. Uh, he's regularly in the lineup i would say um 
and getting some play at center. Uh, he's getting more walks than he was. He's, he's getting a lot of walks, which I always thought. Which, would do. which you coming. did predict on this podcast. Kiel Badu, his growth. What have you seen from him in the past, like you know, month or so? I got to be honest. I'm probably more impressed with this iteration of Akil Badu than I was like the early season sensation Akil Badu because that Akil Badu was always bound to uh, regress to the mean a little bit and and he certainly did then he went through a massive slump where it was like okay can this guy actually handle the big league level what Akil Badu's shown over the past couple weeks is it sure looks like he can he's bumped that average back up to you know around 250 He's had just a terrific plate approach. He's really grinded out some at-bats. He's walking a lot. He still has the fourth highest slugging percentage uh, among rookies. And again, this is a guy who should probably be in double A right now. So yeah, uh, like I think this is Badu showing he belongs at this level, like the reality of this level, not the dream, not the hot couple weeks. Like this is life in the big leagues. Can you handle it? And he's looking like a big league player. He's having some of the very best at bats in this entire order. Um, I, I've been super impressed, you know, because I, you know, I've there have been times I've doubted Badu. There were times in the hot streak where I didn't want to buy in, and then right when I started buying in, oh man, things crashed and they crashed hard. He's rebounded from that well, which also testament to the guy's mentality. You go, you know. 0 for 28 or whatever he went that's that's not easy mentally he's rebounded from that very well he stayed true to his approach um not bad for a rookie yeah and Simo on the uh on the tv broadcast a couple days ago you know he put it pretty well so simply it's like you know he had the hot start then the pitchers adjusted to him yeah and now and now he's adjusted back which it it, that's not a sign that's not a sign of being a big leaguer that's the whole sport right there i I don't i don't know what it is shout out simo uh also shout out Derek hill anyone anyone who knows me knows that i'm hyped about Derek hill i have not sold my Derek hill stock that's literal and some that's so that's figuratively and somewhat literally because i have a couple signed rookie cards of him that i purchased <laughs> a couple years ago for about 10 bucks uh i i'm not one of those guys that buys and sells i just kind of buy the things i like and i hang on to them but it'd be nice if i knew it was worth something so you know if he could get get up to the big leagues and win a couple gold gloves you know that would, that would make him worth something and obviously the defense has never been a question but i'm telling you offensively he is raking right now 913 OPS Cody and 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 this is a guy that I don't think I ever thought I would say that him doing that in double a or in West Michigan and he's doing it in triple a I I think it's time I think I think he's got to come back up not not this like you know emergency doubleheader BS you know like he's got to be up up now I think he deserves it I think he deserves it as much as Victor Reyes, who's kind of flipping flopping right now, I mean, he's he's is is there any no, evidence? I, I, I think so. I mean, I think Reyes kind of earned his his uh, call back up by hitting over four hundred in AAA. But Victor or uh, Derek Hill brings you more tools with a plus glove and a plus runner, not just a plus glove, an elite glove. You know, Reyes is probably going to hit a little better, but he hasn't actually quite done it in the big leagues this year. 
you know, I think there was, I, I, and I'm sure the Tigers had a discussion. Like, do we want Hill or Reyes? They ultimately chose Reyes. I think Hill's that next guy up. Like I said, I could see it happening for Mazzara or if there's any sort of injury in the outfield or if Reyes uh, struggles over the next couple of weeks. Hill's pushing his way to the big leagues right now. I will say, you know, Hill got off to a really hot start in 2019 in AA. I went down there around this time of year, late May, to write a story on him. And by the time I got down there to Erie, he had totally cooled off. So he has a little bit of that streakiness in him. But he's also improved his offensive game a lot over the even 2019 was probably his best season in the minor leagues. And obviously 2020 was cut short for him. His, you know, short taste of the big leagues probably wasn't entirely fair to him. Now the guy's really tearing it up in triple A. I, you know, the conversation's been thrown, the comparison's been made a million times around Tiger's land. But Tory Hunter spent a long time in the minor leagues before he ever got up to the big leagues, before he performed. Granted, Torrey Hunter was like a five-win player early in his big league career. I don't think Derek Hill's going to be Torrey Hunter, but you can spend five, six, seven years in the minors and still be productive, especially when you were drafted out of high school like Derek Hill was. So for the crowd that never gave up on Derek Hill, like you, Kieran, maybe there's something there. I, I would like to see it at the major league level, and that time might be coming soon. And at the very least, you have a tremendous center fielder and a very good base runner. Like we've said before, in a couple years, you put some other bats around this lineup. There's still a case for this guy being uh, on this roster um, into the future. The word of the Tigers uh, this stage of their rebuild is timeline. That's the word that I kind of come to when I look at the guys on this roster. So... We talked about that with Jamer, with the fact that he's 28, 29, whatever he is. And, and Jacoby Jones is 29 or about to turn 29. So if you're teetering right now, there's no nothing to say that you're going to like all of a sudden improve at 32. Uh, we saw that in the yeah. 90s, and now we know why we saw that in the 90s. <laughs> uh, so as I say often, you are who you are. To the point you just made with Derek Hill, he's still 25. So if you're saying timeline, yeah. so if you think, okay, in three, four years, whatever number you want, uh, we it's younger than Jake Rogers. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. younger, like we expect to be contenders in three, four years, whatever number it is. Like, okay, then he's 29, and he's like in his physical prime, and so the timeline checks out for Derek Hill. And even though he has kind of Greg Oden face where he looks like he's 40 and it doesn't help that Riley Green, I think, does he call him uncle or grandpa or dad? He calls him one of those. Oh, I don't, I think it's grandpa. grandpa. <laughs> I mean, he, he looks really old. And of course he's been yeah. like a name in, in the Tiger system for a long time. So you you feel that drafted in 2014 out of high school, but it actually checks out with Derek Hill. So that's, so, like, this optimism isn't a bit. Like, I kind of look at it. I'm like, if it worked out, like, it's in sync with what you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset you for a second. It's like the Detroit Pistons. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when the Detroit Pistons didn't re-sign Christian Wood, it wasn't because they didn't think it was a good player. Is that they were trying to build a team on a certain timeline, and at 26, 27, how old, old Christian Wood is, like he'd be 30 by the time they wanted to contend. So it didn't make any sense to tie up that kind of money to a guy at that time where he would be past it and he didn't have the intangibles of a Jeremy Grant. Okay, no more Pistons. But that, but that holds true with, with the Tigers. Like Those decisions have to be made in the front office. I'm sure they are. But when you're looking at how where can this guy be at this time, 
if he's 31 and still batting 210, then there's no point in just kind of hanging on right now for the sake of hanging on, be my main point. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't think anyone's here to proclaim Derek Hill as a future all-star or anything, but does this guy still have a big, big league future? Uh, that is not at all out of the question. And right now the guy's working his way up to the big leagues by playing really well in AAA. This is the first time he's ever spent a, uh, you know, began a season in AAA, which is another thing to keep in mind. Granted, he had to uh, repeat levels in there despite being a first-round pick. But um, guy's playing really good baseball. Uh, I like watching the guy play because he's fun. He does some very special things. And I will not be shocked if we see him in Detroit soon. By the way, speaking of doing special things, uh, just today, Riley Green had a couple diving stops in the outfield. Uh, That's a guy whose glove tool, you know, with it being the minors, you can't give it like a huge assessment, but it looks impressive. And these these plays came in center field. He was playing center field today, I believe. I mean, I think... I think the glove tool translates from the minors to the majors more than the uh, the hit tool. Obviously, you know the uh, the pitchers change from Double A to the majors. The fielding the ball doesn't really. I mean, I still think projecting him as a big league center fielder again. Watch Derek Hill and watch Riley Green, and you kind of see the difference just in how much ground they can cover. But Riley Green has a very good glove. The guy could be a really, really good corner outfielder. And if he had to play center in the majors, you know, he could he could probably hold it down uh, respectably. So you mentioned Jake Rogers before. Him and uh, Eric Haas are sort of manning the catcher position right now. Uh, looking like they belong. Looking like they belong because uh, Grayson Griner and Wilson Ramos are on the, uh, almost said DL, on the injured list. And... Grayson Griner is on a minor league rehab assignment. Yes, he's on a minor league rehab assignment. Excuse me. So, I say this half-jokingly and without accusation. But we see this in a lot of sports. Where there happens to be some convenient injuries, is how (laughs) I would put it. Uh, A couple years ago, some uh, Lions fans will get this. A couple years ago, the Lions drafted a long snapper in the sixth round. And he lost the long snapping job to Don Muehlbach. And that guy had shoulder surgery and was put on the injured reserve list. When he clearly just didn't make the team. And there aren't that many, like, you're the long snapper. What shoulder injury did you have that was going to, like, have you out for the year? And then they cut him the next year because he lost the job again. You know, kind of read between the lines on that. And, of course, if an NBA team is tanking, there's all sorts of injuries that it's like, oh, okay, bro. Uh, but I, like I said, I don't know this for a fact, but I just think it's rather convenient that Jake Rogers needs an extended look, and he's deser- he is deserving of it. Aircos needs an extended look, and he's deserving of it. And the two guys that were in front of them to start this year are injured or on some minor league assignment, and the injuries listed rather vague that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying it's rather convenient it works out for the tigers if if there's nothing nothing uh inconspicuous here i mean the timing could not be better for those guys to have lumbar spine sprains strains yeah if, just if you strain. look like he uh 
you know, and, and Wilson Ramos is going to Lakeland and he's going to do a full rehab this time. Whereas last time it was like, okay, 10 days. And then we're putting you back on the, on the active roster. The fact that he's going back down, maybe it, maybe it's because he really needs help with his back or maybe it's because he wasn't really productive. We really want a longer look at Haas and Rogers. I don't know the exact details in this case, but I can tell you it does happen in the major leagues and over the course of 162 games, Probably everyone is dealing with some kind of little nick or bruise. So when you kind of need to open up a position, sometimes it can be convenient to go to a guy and say, oh, remember, you know, a couple days ago when you said your knee was hurting? Well, how about we get you a little breather? We get your knee back to 100%. We're going to put you on the IL so we can uh, look at this prospect for 10 days and then we'll, we'll revisit it in another week or two. Like that stuff happens. That is very real. Um you know, AJ Hinch said Wilson Ramos reported more pain in his back the night before they put him back on the IL. Completely a, a chance that that was very legitimate, but these things do happen. It's 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 a way to work the roster um, for managers and, and for the front office. And, you know, I don't think it's because the players aren't hurt. I think it's because everyone's dealing with something, and sometimes it is in the player's best case to get some rest, get back to 100% before you get back up there. Yeah, I mean, still get paid. It's all good. He's getting paid. Wilson Ramos, he's, he's getting paid. He gets to go hang out in some warm weather. It's 49 in Detroit uh, Friday. Wilson Ramos was down in Florida. He's going to be okay. Who's to say who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we haven't done uh, draft talk in, uh, in, in a couple weeks, but a couple things worth noting. Marcel Mayer, Meyer, we haven't really – we haven't really determined what if someone wants to tell us so we can say it right. We'd love to say it right, but you know, it could be either I've way. I've been saying Meyer recently. I've heard Mayor, so yeah. Whatever it is, as of right now, if MLB.com had their way, uh, Rob Manfred would be saying his name number one overall because he's the number one overall prospect according to uh, <laughs> Hey Olive. No worries. No worries. Uh, he's the number one prospect according to MLB.com. Uh, Lawler number two, so the prep the prep uh, shortstops going up there, and uh, your colleague, your boy Keith Law, had a mock draft that came out this week, and they had he had the Tigers taking Meyer, but he dropped a little nugget in there that I hadn't heard, and we certainly had not talked about. Uh, he said, "Well, if if Meyer's already taken." They could go for uh, Jackson Job. Jackson Job's a high school pitcher uh, from Heritage Hall High School in Oklahoma City, which is a uh, athletic powerhouse in, in Oklahoma City. They produce a lot of great prospects in all sports. Wes Welker went there. So the possibility when we talk draft, we, we've done the shortstop thing. We've done the Henry Davis thing. We've done the lighter and rocker thing. But what's your what's what's your feeling just generally about high school pitchers at the top of the draft? Yeah, you know, in, in theory, they are uh, the more risky selection. I don't have the you know wins above replacement totals in front of me because some of the recent data there tells us that high school hitters are, uh, especially like in the top five picks, a little more safe than you might think. So I I don't want to make a definitive statement without looking at the data. But in general, I think it's pretty risky if you have the number, like, are you really going to take Jackson Job over 
Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Like, are you sure? Because this guy could go to, like, we're talking, oh, well, Rocker's been inconsistent. Leiter hasn't looked as good recently. Well, the same thing could happen with this Jackson Job guy in three years. I don't know. I don't even know where he's committed to go to school. Mississippi. Mississippi. So he's going to go play in the SEC, just like Rocker and Leiter. And, like, could he be inconsistent, even if he's a really good pitcher as a junior in three years? Sure. I would lean toward the proven guys a little bit more, especially if you're the Tigers, like I've argued for uh, with Rocker in the past, like a guy who can get to the big leagues a little quicker. Um, we're seeing with Matt Manning, who's a high school arm, who's very talented, but guy's going to need a little bit of a longer look in AAA. Um, so I haven't seen Jackson Joe pitch. I had not, you know, I knew his name from the draft boards, but I had not heard him uh, mentioned, you know, as early as three, except for I got like a Twitter DM from someone um, who wasn't really like a reputable source saying, I heard the Tigers are interested in Joe, but have you heard that? And I was like, no, to be honest, no, I hadn't heard that. A few days later, it comes out in, in Keith Law's mock. So clearly the Tigers have their eye on jackson Job. now what does that mean exactly um who knows but i'm gonna dive into some tape i'm gonna look a little closer at jackson Job, and we will circle back on it just my gut instinct though i you know i i would not take a high school pitcher over two very good college pitchers unless you really thought this guy was uh the real deal so for uh for those that know literally nothing about him six two one ninety is what he's listed uh, considered a better prospect than Dylan Bundy, also an Oklahoman who took 15 months to get to the major leagues. And uh, 92 to 94 on the fastball can get a slider into uh, the low 80s with elite spin rates. I'm just reading the MLB scouting report. So 60-grade uh, fastball, 65-grade slider. Uh, 55 grade curveball, 60 grade changeup. So, forever that's worth. I know that's not how you're gonna make your opinion, but just some of the basic information out there for uh, for guys. But again, as I said earlier, timeline. If they, if the front office views three, four years as your prime, you know, let's kick this in the gear. I. I guess you could talk your way in and out of a high school pitcher in that regard. It's like, well, would he really be ready at 21-22? Whereas if Kumar Rocker's not ready in four years, then then yeah. it was a failed pick. So I guess you could kind of talk your way in and out of that one. But it it I think Tigers fans that have their hearts set on Meyer probably should start looking at some of these other cats because if he's risen up that fast – on the draft boards the rangers are the wild card a lot of people just slot lawler in there because he's the local kid i i think i think keith said that like john daniels had gone to watch him in person but chris young's making the pick as, as i believe so you know how much does that mean this is also a lot of misinformation, you know, this time, you know. I, as we I think get... there's some misinformation going on. I wonder if that's played into the, the shift in the rankings. I don't know where it all comes from, but uh, I, I think there's probably some of that going on with teams and front offices, and that's why these mock drafts have gotten so crazy. Uh, but I was, I was going to go on a semi-tangent about, like, don't just assume the Rangers are going to take Jordan Lawler. In 2015, the year I covered the Rangers for uh, MLB.com, there's a kid in their backyard who at the time went by the name Trent Clark. 
Uh, I went to go see him in the Dallas area, wrote a little story on him. And I think he went like 15 in the draft or something. The Rangers took uh, Dylan Tate, the pitcher, and Trent Clark is now Trent Grisham, the center fielder for the San Diego Padres. He's a very productive player. Would have been a better pick than Dylan Tate. The Rangers went for a college arm over the high school kid in their backyard. Granted, that was several years ago. But again, they probably should have taken Trent Grisham back then, and they didn't. So don't just assume because the kid's from Dallas that he's going to be a Ranger. And by the way, uh, Brady House, another prep shortstop, climbing all the way to sixth in the rankings. So the, the prep shortstops right now are the hottest uh, hottest group among the draft boards, for whatever that's worth. All right, so this week, Cody, the Tigers had an extra inning win to uh, start the Yankees series. And the Tigers are 4-0 in extra inning games, which, you know, it's kind of interesting, kind of fun. But we haven't had a chance to talk about how you feel about the base runner rule in extra innings so uh what what are you what are your thoughts on that you're shaking your head all right hot no hot takes time modern baseball isn't as bad as all you guys think it is the runner on second guess what i I, does anyone actually want to watch like a 16 inning game i don't uh i i think it creates some action i think it's very interesting from the start i think it puts some pressure on the pitcher. I think it makes extra inning base- baseball worth watching. And as a writer, I'm not trying to be <laughs> at the ballpark until 2 a.m. If Gretchen Whitmer ever opens these bars back up, I'm trying to head to the bar after the game. Um, so I'm, I'm, I like, I like it. Um, AJ Hinch, I asked him after the Tigers first, first extra inning win, because this being Hinch first, Hinch's first year as manager, first time he had managed, you know, a game with the runner on second. I said, do you like it? He said, well, we won tonight, so I like it tonight. <laughs> uh, the Tigers are 4-0 in extra innings, so I'm going to assume A.J. Hinch still likes the runner on second. And if you're a Tigers fan, maybe you should too because the Tigers are 4-0. I think it creates some action. It is a little weird that this runner kind of appears. Like writing it down in my scorebook is kind of weird going up to the the previous, you know, the guy who made the last out and suddenly just marking him on second. It's a little odd. Uh, but, but I'm all for it. I mean, I think the other solution would, I'm not opposed to the idea of ties in baseball. You know, why not? If we can do it in soccer, if we can do weird stuff in hockey, like eh, maybe just call it after nine, maybe that's call good. it after 10. Uh, but if you're, yeah, we're 10, you know, and there's the idea play like 10 and 11 normal. And if it gets to 12, put the runner on second, that's a, I guess I get that argument, but I feel like if you're going to do that, just put the runner on second to start the 10th you already had nine innings to try to win the game you know uh so i I don't hate it i really have no problem with the rule at all yeah it doesn't bother me but i get the i i i do empathize more with the argument that's saying it's too gimmicky uh but but it doesn't bother me and and you're right about like you know maybe starting the 12th inning but then it kind of gets into how many times see that's the thing about like anything that people get outraged about today is that how often is it really a thing like how often it's like well why don't you wait till the 12th inning to to do the runner on second well how often are we getting to the 12th inning you know not very often right so this eliminates that it creates a lot of tension which baseball you know just in generally could benefit from with the tv product and and you know trying to like keep eyeballs 
So I I get it. I get it. I, I mean, it's not like there's a lot to like really applaud Rob Manford for, but I I do respect anyone who is not just rigid by nature and doesn't want to change anything and isn't afraid to take risk, even if it, you know, even if it ends up falling flat in the face. Like, I, I respect that notion of it. Uh, what do you think about seven any no-hitters or non-no-hitters? Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting topic just because, uh, you know, when I was hanging out with Armando Galarraga last year, that led to a rabbit hole on Harvey Haddix, you know, who threw more than nine innings with no hits, but his team lost the game. He allowed a hit in extra innings. He wasn't credited with a no hitter. I I don't think you should get a no hitter if you only threw seven innings because you only you only threw seven innings. Like the game wasn't nine innings long. But if it's a seven inning game, I don't know. It's it. But you get a complete right, game right. shutout. You get a complete game shutout. So why don't you get a no hitter? I don't know. A long time ago, MLB decided you have to complete the game that must be at least nine innings having allowed no hits. That's the rule. That's the precedent. So if I'm an attorney, that's what I am going to stick to. Don't be rigid, Rob. (laughs) I just said you weren't rigid. Don't be rigid. And of course, I think we'd have like the, the record already for no hitters if they, uh, they counted that one this year. So, so yeah, I mean, personally, I think if you ask him to pitch a maximum of seven innings and he doesn't allow a hit, I don't think it should be taken away from him that he didn't pitch a no-hitter because, like, it, he didn't choose seven innings. He didn't make the rule that we're doing seven-inning double-headers. Like, it could very well have been nine. He had nothing to do with that. I just th- – I, I, I feel pretty strongly that, that should be considered a no-hitter. And if you want to put, like, in parentheses seven, fine. Do it. But, it, like, he completed a game, a complete game shutout that didn't allow a hit. That's not a no hitter. Sometimes when you say it out loud, it sounds kind of silly. I don't. I. I, I don't want to hear any of this until Armando Galarraga is awarded a perfect game. So he did yeah, it. I mean, yeah, he did. That he did. Shout out. Shout out Galarraga. By the way, you can. Uh, if you're wondering what Cody's talking about, last year, right before uh, COVID took over the world, he went and, went and spent some time with Galarraga and. Uh, talked about what his life's been like and you know and you know since that game and you know a bunch of stuff really good story that's exactly why you should subscribe to the athletic barbecue in austin texas it was great more importantly had some barbecue in austin texas i'm pretty sure that's the only reason that you uh that you went down there because i don't know if he was in uh he was in vancouver I don't know uh, if you... Uh, all I know is we had breakfast tacos, and we had barbecue, and I was very happy. Fair enough, fair enough. Speaking of barbecue, you upgraded your uh, barbecue situation. We did. We finally got the new grill in there. Um, went with the rep, the Weber Spirit. Some of you guys might think that that's an outdoor stove. I think you need to watch King of the Hill. You need to cook with propane, taste the meat, not the heat. Uh, made a couple meals. It is an upgrade from the previous cheap grill. It's it's really good. Um, let's see. Uh, made a couple. Went did some barbecued chicken the other night. Some asparagus. I think I did a steak on there. It's it's been a very good purchase. Glad I got it. I think the funniest thing is I went to pick it up at the Home Depot. And as we said before, I drive a Jeep Compass. I put the the seats down in the back, and the guys like. 
this is not going to fit in your car. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's like, this little thing is not going to fit. It was like, I mean, it's like a midsize SUV and I got like the <laughs> smallest, like good grill you can get. Like it's going to fit. He brings it out. And he's like, this is not going to fit unless you uh, put down the side tables. I was like, no, it, like it'll still fit. He's like, no, it won't. I was like, it would have, but it wasn't worth like, you know, so I, I, I took down the side tables and we put it in there and it fit fine. I was like, yeah, I, I, I told you, man. I'm like, thanks. But anyway, uh, very pleased with the new grill. Very excited. I'm thinking about getting another one, but I do not want to. I do not want to. Got Home Depot free. Uh, I, I think they'll even deliver it assembled for free, or maybe it's they'll deliver it for free, but you have to assemble it. The store pickup uh, was free, no additional charge for the assembly. The hardest time I had getting something in a car was when uh, my uh, fiance's Dodge Durango tried to fit the uh, 75-inch TV I had just purchased. And uh, that thing had to be shoved in there. And then when we moved, it was equally as hard to uh, to to get a you had to get a special box or whatever, and then put it back in there. That was uh, that was very difficult. That was very difficult. But you know, you knew your car. This guy obviously had no idea. <laughs> I should note I also got the smoke box accessory and some pecan wood chips. So although it's not a smoker, I can kind of emulate a smoker. So again, as we stated, we're not necessarily you know grill masters, but we're uh, we have a passion for food and barbecue and. These guys in our, our, you know, kind of mid late twenties, you know, hopefully in another 10 years, 20 years, we will be grill masters with smokers and, uh, way too many different ways to cook the meats right now. Just the little grill box accessory. I'm pretty pleased with you could indeed taste the smoky pecan flavor. So, so, so you got the new grill. Is there anybody that you might be, are you going to be grilling for two anytime soon, Cody? We haven't had a dating update in a while. Yikes. Uh, things have, things have gotten complicated as you know, Kieran, um, mini golf never happened. Unfortunately, it was actually the night of Spencer Turnbull's perfect game. The next, the next day we talked last week, how I stayed up for like forever, you know, worked forever. Uh, she texted me. She said I had a really long day and I had to work outside and it was hotter than I anticipated. She canceled the mini golf on me. Uh, I have not really heard from her since, and some of this, is, we're, we're just going to keep off the record for now, but things have gotten very weird and complicated since then. If you stick around and listen to this podcast, promise for a, a little more tangible update in the weeks to come, but uh, yeah, it's it's gotten weird. See, we, we've railed against the tired thing, the it's too hot thing, like that's i had a long day I had a long day it's hot like i like i i'm i live in dallas texas i have never thought of it's too hot to do x and plus you're doing like a nighttime event anyway so like it's gonna get cooler as like the event progresses or you could just do something else i mean i i was at a loss for words when i heard about that it was 84 degrees. <laughs> and that's it. That's all that need <laughs> that's all needs to be said. It was 84 degrees outside. Oh boy. Well maybe you should have hit her up this weekend when it was 40 and said, hey, still too hot for you. 
it was too cold for me by that point. Both the relationship was cold and the weather was cold. I was out. All right. Well, on that note, we will wrap up. Uh, be sure to follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our podcast page at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate all the feedback we have gotten. Please subscribe to The Athletic so that uh, that loud and proud dog of Cody's can continue to be very well fed and happy. It was nice to nice to hear from Olive for the first time in a while. I appreciate it. So for Cody Statement Hagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.